so Manny Cotto's back, and uh, helmed by the always excellent Miss Dawson, we have what may be the last filler episode. It's either this one or the next one. I'm actually not sure. I'll, I'll judge it for myself when we get there. But one way or another, we do have at least one more filler episode. Uh, we have the cold open, which just has lots and lots of blank questions, which is kind of a neutral cold open. You know, it doesn't really grab your attention, and it's not amazing, but it still prompts the viewer to say, Huh? And, you know, in a good way. You know, as always, a good cold open should prompt questions, which gets the viewer interested in actually watching the episode and getting them an idea of what they're in for. So, sense mate. <clears throat> so, we're going to go help these people go on full security alert. Not that it does them any good. Maybe you should have checked for a couple other things first. I'm just saying. But no. Okay, whatever. Fine. So they invite them on board. And it turns out they're religious zealots. Great. Star Trek always handles this with wonderful nuance and aplomb. So, I gotta start with this. Alright, they don't want to be scanned. Okay. Why? Well, because of religious reasons. Now, they never actually say, but the implication is because they're anti-tech and anti-science. Okay. You fly around in a spaceship. So... And you're also aware of star charts and the relative, actually very close to exact, light years distance to your home planet from here. So, um, uh, anyways, <laughs> I know we could explain this away. Maybe they feel like, you know, scanning rips your soul out or something. It's like, it's like draw, you draw a picture of someone and, oh my God, that picture is, is this, it'll destroy you. Or something. You know, that was the thing, right? I've actually only ever seen that in fiction. I don't know if that was a thing in real life. Naturally, they've never heard of the Zindi. Okay, sure. I don't buy that for a millisecond. Considering the Zindi are long-standing denizens of this realm, these people are obviously space travelers, and there's Zindi all over the place after the destruction of their home world, but, you know, whatever. But then they, re they reveal that they worship the spheres. Okay. Of all of the nonsense in this episode, and as is kind of Manny Cotto's thing, there's some logical problems with his, the construction of his narrative. This actually makes perfect sense. This... I want you to imagine for a moment... I'll, I'll pull Chrono Trigger into this one. I want you to imagine for a moment that someone goes back to, like, the 600s, and there's now just a Star Destroyer. It's all black, and it's called the Black Omen, but there's a Star Destroyer just hanging out up there. Nobody can interact with it. Nobody can reach it because, you know, it's the 600s and it's way up there in the sky. But, you know, they're just, it's there now. And it just becomes a regular fixture. Of course religions are going to center around that. And, I, I mean, I'm actually misspeaking. I apologize. I keep doing that. I make the same mistake that fiction does where I confuse faith and religion. I shouldn't do that. They're separate things. You can see why they're connected, but religion is an organization. Faith is more about what, what these people tend to mean. And they do use the word properly in this episode, so let's rewind this a second. There's a lot of faiths that would crop up, a lot of you know iconography or belief structures that would probably be built because there's this giant ship, and it's just always there, you know? I mean, it's, it's such a constant thing. I mean, why do you think people worshipped the sun back in the day? Same general concept, right? So, okay, cool. The idea of the spheres and the fact that they've been here for some time, remember, and they've been building up the expanse. All of that lines up. 
They even have a myth about the makers coming back and purifying, and only the faithful will survive. Hmm. Anyways, so all of that lines up and makes perfect sense, and I'm kind of kind of with that. It's something that really could have made the whole episode, to be completely blunt, examining how these people have used their observations of these spheres over time and built their belief structure around that. And, of course, this could then lead to be a way where the crew, and thus the audience, gains more information on the spheres and the specifics by effectively interpreting and reverse engineering these faith structures in order to try and figure out why they think that way or why they feel that way, and thus get more information on them. We don't do any of that, of course. All we know is that they are the faithful, and they're made by the dudes and the dudettes, and they're totally going to wipe out everyone who isn't pure. Severity, extremity, etc. Okay, cool. Amani Koto has actually gone on record as saying that he wasn't trying to be anti-religious in this episode. Excuse me, anti-faith, anti-believing. I did it again. But rather that he was trying to be anti-extremist. I can kind of buy that. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Because the real point is, the negative here isn't the faith structure. It's it's the religious structure. And that's why I had to correct myself both previous times. Because, again, the organization tends to be more of an issue than the individual having the personal belief and faith structure, right? I mean, that tends to be true in real life, too. If I can be completely blunt, at least in my own experience and historical observation. This then leads to them taking over the ship. Okay. And this is dumb. It takes... So they take over the ship by having these suicide bombers. This takes forever. Kneels. Starts to pray. Pulls out the thing. Hesitates a moment. Stabs himself. And then it still takes several seconds before... These people are on guard still, right? Like, you're still on high alert. No. Maybe the random crewman should have done anything other than stared and gawked at this dude doing this weird thing in the middle of the corridor. Just a thought. I know under normal circumstances, shooting a random person who's visiting the ship might not be a good idea. Maybe he's just stopping to do the daily prayer in the middle of the corridor. But these are not normal circumstances. You are in hostile space, in hostile territory, and I've already been boarded by hostile aliens more than once. Shoot him. You have a stun setting. <sighs> Once again, we find out that despite their ahem, supposed security measures and their precautions, you brought the Makos for a reason, for God's sakes. Instead, they decide to let the ship get taken over. This is stupid, but at the very least it is in character because, I mean, Starfleet security is Starfleet security. They've been taken over by Ferengi, and um, I think we'll go with hippies as the other example there. So now we can add morons to the list, too whose only power is the ability to die explosively. Slowly. <sighs> By the way, later in this very episode, we see them attempt the suicide thing. And in one of those attempts, only the one, they have no problem shooting him well before he actually does anything. So if they had actually attempted, whatever, you get the point. All right, so whatever. This then leads to, you know, oh my gosh, we must capitulate and blah, blah, blah. blah. And we must destroy the ship because you have committed desecration of the sphere. I never explained. It's never explained what they do to desecrate the sphere, unless it's just unacceptable to go to a sphere or land on a sphere. 
I suppose that could be it. I'm not sure how that qualifies as desecration. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too harsh here. But, you know, if Archer decided to piss on their sacred trees or something, that might actually qualify as desecration. But instead, he just was like, huh, neat. And that's worthy of destroying the ship? But they did save our lives, so therefore we will spare all but one of you. You must choose one to die. Okay. Now... My actual reaction in the, to that scene was literally the, the what I just did. Okay. Then they destroyed the database of the Zindi things. Now, what's funny is my first reaction was, <gasps> I'm getting jaded. But the funny thing, though, is the episode seems to agree with me. There's no musical sting or cue, and Archer looks kind of nonplussed at the idea that he has to choose someone to die. Then he destroys the database, and the musical is like... Oh, you get the low the the horns in the background like something bad has just happened and Archer's like oh, no and he actually visibly reacts so apparently the episode agrees with me that destroying the database is worse I mean it kind of is if you think about it uh, ignoring the obvious destruction of knowledge thing which is terrible and just about every right uh, there's also the other side of things which is the fact that well they kind of need that knowledge. That's the Zindi database, which they've been using to navigate as well as map and figure out what the hell they're doing in this place. And they just lost all of that, including the map of the spheres, which is pretty important, too. So that's that's probably the biggest uh, setback they've had in the entire season so far, which is saying something. So that's neat. So, okay... The episode then tries really hard to keep pushing that narrative that I've already been making fun of this entire season. We must make hard... Archer, excuse me, Archer must make hard choices by being edgier and darkier and grittier and flarkier. I don't know what flarkier means, but by God, that's what he is. <sighs> you had to torture a man and he wasn't harmed. Yeah, uh-huh. I had to kill a six-year-old. Okay. I'm not, I don't even know where to start with that. This then leads to the first time the episode actually was was good. So far, I, I don't actually like this episode, to be completely blunt. Not just the fact that it's filler or the fact that it's kind of in the way, but there's also the fact that it's just, okay, religious zealots again. Thanks, thanks, Star Trek. But no, the thing that really got me was Archer's like, I, I request to be executed in a manner of my own speaking as, as a matter of, as, as a request. Okay, what do you use? Cut to the transporter room. I actually burst out laughing. I'd forgotten about that. I, I didn't remember this episode all that well, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I'll give you that one, Mr. Kodo. See, the thing is, the transporter is a ridiculously powerful tool. So powerful, it's actually stupid. Because what happens is, it's this amazing, powerful device they never use because, well, if they did, the episodes would be over. And it's irritating because it's more or less a non-stop irritation throughout almost all of Trek. The transporter is an incredibly powerful tool and weapon. So I always tend to enjoy it when the transporter is actually utilized like a tool. And the writers actually think about it creatively. So the fact that Mr. Kodo has actually come up with this creative way to bypass this whole thing, that's neat. And it is nice to see it used in such a manner. So I'll give you that one. This then leads to, you know, don't feed him cheese. Good reference. And then, you know, he takes over and there's some stuff and blah, blah, blah. This then leads to an interesting scene where I am now going to discuss 
zealots, 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 faith and religion, because I apparently hate myself and can't wait to have the comment section tear me apart. We actually already discussed this in brief over on the episode Believers back in Babylon 5, but this is a little bit of a different expression of a similar concept. And since, you know, that I didn't get flayed completely alive in the comment section of that one, we'll just go ahead and go for this. I look forward to the comments for this one. Uh, Archer confronts, I don't remember his name and didn't write it down. And, and he's like, I can't betray my faith. And Archer says, your faith betrayed you. That's a lie. That's not true. Uh, Dijamet, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. They pronounce it kind of weird. Dijamet is the one who betrayed him. See, their faith isn't really the issue. And if the episode was better, it would have probably showed this a little bit better. We see two people who are decent folk here, but it's entirely because the fact that they're parents and there's the implication of the parental instinct kind of overriding the, the zealotry thing. So they're not really shown in a positive light as they could have done here. This is my point. What they could have done is they could have shown that their faith isn't really a problem, that it's been something that's helped them to stabilize or has been a guiding light for them in the past, or maybe it led them to certain advancements, or maybe it's why they developed space flight it was because they wanted to get closer to the creators or whatever, right? They could have done many things and shown more of the, excuse me, the side characters in a more positive light, but not Dejamet because he's the religion. Here's the catch. The moment you affix a political identity to a religious faith organization thing, I'm saying this wrong. Rewind, rewind. The moment you attach a religious political entity as an organization on top of a faith and belief structure, what we have is potential for abuse. Now, the same could be said about any political structure, which is true. That's exactly my point. In the same way that a, uh, a homeowners association you know, an HOA uh, president or, or whatever can be someone who could try to abuse their position in the same way that someone who is the manager at a fast food restaurant, the same manner in which someone who happens to have uh, an office, you know, an elected office or official or someone who has decided to become a leader of a country or someone who is a major executive. These are all positions that are political entities and thus have that potential for corruption. That's just the nature of it. I'm not saying we need to get rid of political structures. I'm just saying that is an inevitability by the very nature of how that kind of intangible um, uh, political power structure works. So <laughs> I could argue about how much I personally don't think that you should affix a political identity to a personal faith or belief thing. But that's neither here nor there because people are going to do that anyways. Even if you just gather, even if it's just a group of people who believe a similar thing and just happen to get together every whenever they have time for it or on a scheduled time or whatever, inevitably over time they're going to get more organized and organization is going to lead to structure and structure is going to lead to political power, right? The catch is the same thing that applies in every one of those other circumstances that I just mentioned, trying to have checks and balances and curtail that power, to try and have some way of removing someone from a position once they have proven that they should not be in that position. You know, if a manager tr tries to steal or, or skim off from the top of the particular restaurant they're working at, they'll get fired and possibly imprisoned for that, right? To use a simple example. So this is the kind of thing that... You, you know, this this sort of situation 
is is no different is what I'm trying to say, really. It's no different than a job. It's no different from a company. It's no different from a political entity because it is a political entity. With me so far? This then gets to the idea of the episode, the idea that it could have pushed. Now, again, the intended idea, as Manny Cota said, was down with extremists. Cool, I'm with that tool. Uh, two, but they could have gone more of a route that this this identity, this political machination is part of the problem. And Well, even that's not true. Sorry, let me rewind that. That the current political leader, Dejamet, he's the problem. And kind of emphasize the distinction between the two a little bit more in the manners that I already discussed. Um, there's all there, there's even a line. What makes them heretics? Oh, they think the, the universe was created in nine days. We think it was created in ten. I want to joke about that. I do. But I've studied real life history. I... This is a good time as any to mention the fact that this is about when we start to see the heretics. And we find out that they have a black scar on the left side of their face, whereas these people, they have a red scar on the right side of their face because the let that be your last battlefield parallels were not obvious enough. <laughs> I just... <sighs> now... I guess that's actually it. I guess I don't have everything else to share. The, the ideas that are presented here aren't really expounded upon or expressed in any significant manner. So I, I guess I'm done. I, I look forward to all of the hate, hate comments in the comment section. Let me go ahead and mention something here while we're talking about this. We see the bat. I believe that's the last showing of the bat in the show. Uh, we see the NX-1 is actually high tier. That's good. If only their security was actually worth it. Damn. Thank goodness the off-button hypospray still works even in the distant past. And so Archer sucks in a firefight again. Do they not have a good choreographer on Enterprise? Is that just what this is? I'm actually curious. Because Archer sucks in a fight. And the firefight to retake the Enterprise, honestly, is kind of pathetic. There's a scene where they capture this guy and he surrenders. And he grabs his suicide thing. And rather than just suiciding right there around the corner, he walks around, puts the gun down, walks halfway down the thing, and then jabs himself with it. What? First of all, he's an idiot for taking so damned long to kill himself. You can quote me that if you want to, because it's still true. But the second thing here is, why did they let him get to that point? You have a stun setting. Why did they, now I know they have the thing in the air to, to disable it and they kind of wanted to test it. Sure. Do you mind testing it in some place that's not right next to something extremely critical to the ship's function? Is that a thought? Maybe just don't risk it in general. Maybe just shoot them just in case. Again, stun setting. You know, I thought you brought the Mayakos on board so you would have some kind of actual uh, infantry tactics on display. People who could actually handle these kind of boarding situations. It would have been really cool if the Makos just kind of were awesome anytime they had to do these kind of firefights and would just sweep the ship instead of being just the same as every other Starfleet personnel across the rest of Star Trek history, except for the fact that they have a slightly different uniform. <sighs> Sorry, I don't like this episode if it's not obvious. Anyway, so he, now they, they, they take the ship back. Okay, that's cool. I want to point out that the NX-01 has been pasting these ships, okay? So the ships try to surrender. He says, no. Then they take the ship back, and they spend what has to be several minutes 
getting back, you know, getting the control back, getting up to the bridge, take making sure everything's good, and then hailing them, and then saying, "Hey, during this time, the enemy ships are attacking them and actually doing damage for some reason, even though they weren't doing damage earlier." Plot convenience, you know, in, rule of drama, I suppose. We got to have the exploding consoles somehow in this episode. Then he's like, "Hey, we've taken control of the ship back," and the guy says, "How do I know that's true?" How about the fact that the ship, which was absolutely shrekking you over the last several minutes, or excuse me, last like 20 minutes, has just been sitting there for the last several minutes doing nothing while you've been attacking it ineffectually? I don't know. Just I, I know it's hard to use your brain, but maybe you should try to consider doing it every once in a while. Then they go back to the planet, and hey, let that be your last battlefield. Everything's smashed. Have fun! And they leave them on the planet. <laughs> that's actually worse than killing them. Oh, so that's cool. The end. It's very peaceful. This episode sucks. As usual, I think I've done some of my work at explaining why it sucks. But there's one other problem, and I wanted to address this directly. Manny Cotto's a big Trek fan, uh, particularly TOS Trek fan. He's talked about this before. I've talked about this before. And it, it's very obvious in the way he writes. I already talked before about how what he writes is kind of fan fiction-y, but it works because he's a talented enough writer to make it work. There's a lot of that vibe in his stuff, and we'll be seeing more of this when he actually takes control of the show in Season 4. But the reason I mention this here is because this was a deliberate homage to Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Now, I checked the calendar before I hit record here. The rumination on that will not be going live for like another month and a half or something. It's going to leave me a little bit. I've already recorded it. I recorded that some time ago. So I want to compare it directly side by side now that I have the availability to do so. Let That Be Your Last Battlefield had some flaws and didn't hold up as well as I thought it would, except for when it hits the core point at which it's phenomenal. And one of the things I praised that episode for was being extremely brutal and um, unflinching in trying to get across its point. Whereas this episode doesn't really hit the same beats. It just doesn't have the impact that it needed to. They could have either gone the more nuanced route, which is what I suggested, or they could have made these people just overtly, ridiculously, you know, ha ha ha, and then you know, it's needless and senseless war, right? They don't do that either. Which just leaves it kind of meandering in the middle and not really managing either. It's not that good of a message show, even though this is a message show. It doesn't really have much of a threat, even though this is a threat of the week. There's no dilemma to speak of, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the overarching arc of the Zindi arc, other than the fact that the database has been removed, which will necessitate changes going forwards. So, filler, and not that good. Not all that impressed. They were a little bit rushed for time. Remember, this is still in the desperate for scripts period, so... What do you think? Honestly curious of the comments. Honestly terrified of the comments. This should be a fun one. Either way. See you next time.